0: just stop it. The -the run-of-the-mill cheesy humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back,
1: everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another disruptor who has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has been disrupting markets as a serial entrepreneur and marketing leader for decades. A few notables. He was instrumental in introducing Microsoft Office to the world. And I'm sure SMBs thank you for that. He was the CEO of a cloud contact sitter for the SMB market. He co-founded a marketing agency dedicated to helping B2B SaaS companies accelerate growth. And he wrote the go-to market playbook for B2B SaaS companies. He cannot help himself. He just cannot stop. He is now helping small business owners better manage resources, improve customer service and save money. How? His most current startup is based on a new disruption in the market, and I'm going to let him tell you about that. Coming to us live from Seattle, Washington, founder, CEO of Amy, Amy Amy.us, Stein (laughs) Hendricks. Hi, Stein.
2: Hi. Hi. Thank you. Thank you, Carla Joe. Really humbling yeah. that long list of, of bullets. I have to correct you on one area. I did not launch Office to the world. I was when I ran product marketing for Microsoft Office, I was
1: introducing
2: responsible for the small business focus of Office and then also the public sector focus. Yeah.
1: Got it. Well, that just goes to show. I mean, you have a long list of helping SMBs, right?
2: Exactly. And I know
1: Office really helped SMBs. So introducing that was pretty instrumental, wouldn't you say?
2: Yeah, and especially when we moved into the world of SaaS and services competing with new alternatives like Google and uh, other ways to productivity beyond using Word and Excel and, and PowerPoint, the innovation that we did with things like Office 365. It was amazing to be part of that journey, uh, Carla Joe.
1: Yeah, I bet. What would you say for you? because you're a serial entrepreneur. You really love SMBs. You like disrupting markets. What is your main ingredient for disruption?
2: I start things. I don't wait too long. When I have an idea, I like to just get going and build it. And I don't worry about the right timing too much. Don't wait around. And that has helped me a lot. And sometimes you build things that don't get maybe as much traction as you originally hoped for. But in the end, a lot of things stick. And I also, because I like to build new things, I also want to always make sure that I build right. the right team relatively early. So sort of when I want to move on to the next idea that I have a great team to sustain what I have created. So those two ingredients, I think, starting and building, but then also building a team to be able to sustain that uh, for me have worked and have really yeah given me a fantastic, I think, foundation for my career.
1: Yeah. So starting. That's actually really a key important. So tell me about this. You see something and you say this something needs to be done about it. And you just go do it. Right. What is currently happening in the SMB market that like what's the status quo that you said this needs help and you just started it?
2: Yeah, I'm very passionate about small business, but more than anything, the place where technology meets small business and as a software, I was a coder when I started my career developer and I've added marketing and other things to that list of skills and experiences, but small businesses, especially in the last couple of years, this has been even magnified. Really struggling in the world of where customer service is really the new sales, Carla Joe. If you run a business, big or small, it's far more important that you please your customers, you make them extremely happy, and you create what's called engaged advocates that really trumps whether you're getting more and newer customers, right? And, and small businesses, especially the last two years now with the great resignation, struggling with hiring, re- training, retaining people just have a hard time picking up the phone. And picking up the phone is, of course, not the real picking up the phone anymore because people have turned from talking into texting, right? So a lot of that is answering an email, answering a chat, answering it as a message, answering some kind of a social media inquiry. And, and small business owners are just struggling to provide great experience and customer service to their customers. And yeah, so the challenge there is that technology can solve that. Yes. (laughs) But it hasn't.
1: (laughs) But it hasn't yet. And that's what I always find so interesting is that I think, really, that hasn't been solved yet. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of my listeners, when they listen, they go, oh, yeah, that's already been solved. And then they realize that it hasn't. Before I, you said a couple of things that I really just want to, first of all, you said a, a mic drop, you said customer service is the new sales. We are seeing this just mirrored in so many industries. I think the tolerance for, well, the tolerance of like lack of speed <laughs> and lack of good customer services, like the intolerance of that is at an all time high. Yeah. Why do you think that is?
2: We experience that every day, right? You don't even bother to leave someone a voicemail that you know, people don't return that if they even listen to it. If you, get sort of a connected phone call you end up in an an ivr an interactive voice response system that is really programmed to not help you right (laughs) and you press the, the zero a couple times being representative into the receiver and and then you go to the website and you don't find what you need really fast. Google is not that helpful, honestly, when you go beyond just finding the company that you want to interact with. You really ask a couple more questions. If you send email, a lot of email goes into spam, right? So all these things that we experience every day makes you wonder if customer retention and customer experience is so important for a business. How do those two things jive, right? They don't. And it really is then turning quickly in a a small business environment into stress on the owner, on the people who work there, that can be solved. And we think of artificial intelligence and chatbot technology and just websites getting better and better. It's just a question of marrying those two uh, things together with a little bit of focus. Yeah. And I think most organizations that provide the technology platforms are just focused on enterprises and helping the bank make sure that you don't get through <laughs> or the first yes. company or the airline. Um, the, and the, have, the
1: ones that you need to get a hold of the most, they won't let you, right? Yeah, the exactly. bank, yeah. <laughs> the airline. Yeah.
2: yeah. And then, yeah, small business, you know this, of course, right? There's 30 odd million, 31 million, 32, 32
1: million. 32 million, I just read the other day. 32, yeah, 35.
2: 40. And of course, they use Facebook and Messenger and they use all kinds of other channels but, or text messaging, even. But the reality is that 40% of them really rely on their website as their main interface with their customers. And wow. they're not web developers, right? they depend on kind of what WordPress gives them to help their customers. And it's just very limited.
1: You know, that's really interesting. I didn't know it was 40%, but that's a huge number. And then with this whole thing about the the great, you mentioned the great resignation, right? We're experiencing that across the boards, right? The intolerance for bad customer service. I think this has been escalated since COVID. People want everything now. And then in the great resignation, there's always you have to build a whole brand new team, right? It falls upon the owner, right? Or the key people that have been there for a long time, mostly the owner in a small business. And when customers ask questions, they really have to have a knowledge base. New people don't have a knowledge base, right? So how how do you overcome this with AI and a chat for websites? How do you actually do this and how does it really help them?
2: Yeah, and the reality is, Karol kind of that is not all that easy as it sounds, right? AI is a great buzzword, but AI needs what's called training models to actually be any good, right? And how do you train the AI for the customer service, but for a locksmith or for a brewery or for a funeral later, by extracting what's in that person's head, right? And and most. Technology platforms don't do that. So, yeah, what we had to do when we launched Amy, which is a product that's basically trying to solve this problem, is basically interview and research hundreds of small businesses and actually figure out what is the... Kind of eighty percent of questions, or that gets answered with twenty percent of the answers, and that maybe are not really well answered on the website, and where a little bit of interaction is needed. Like I like to use the example of a brewery. who now they get questions. And someone picks up the phone. Hey, do you have a food truck this Friday? What is it? Can I bring my kids? Do you serve liquor, hard liquor? And. That same brewery also sometimes does tours. And if you have to schedule a tour on the website, that's more than just a simple Q&A on the website. There's a little bit of interaction. But that tour is not very different from scheduling it for a winery or a small museum, right? Or or, Or a small city. And so there's all these commonalities between small businesses the spa and the masseuse and maybe the personal trainer they have a lot of things in common but then they also all are a little bit different so how do you make it both possible for them to have the content like the typical questions ready to go in templates in the case of amy we have something called mini flows that have like a booking a tour for example as a building block or reviewing a product catalog or it's all these things that are a little more than just one question, but they're also not that complex. How do you combine that with the technology that that, that does exist? But the content and the technology have to kind of sing together, right? And I think that's, I don't know if you do a little bit of design, Carla Jo, but Canva is a great example that I like to use. Yes, where, where I love Canva yeah i mean a lot of us want to design but we don't necessarily need adobe right The almost is a little bit daunting <laughs> and, yeah. and professional designers can of course uh, go there but for us canva is nothing else than the combination of technology simplified a little bit and content right pre-packaged content that fits 80 percent of what we need when we create either a small illustration or a poster etc and amy is kind of the same thing you have the chat technology but then you have the template that do basically answer the most common questions for a flower shop, right? Or a dentist or an accountant, right? About when is the IRS deadline, et cetera. All these things that people could find if they Google a little bit more, but they don't. They send an email to their accountant, right? Or they go to their website.
1: Right. What makes you like small businesses so much?
2: It's really the place where I think the path from... Problem to solution is the shortest. And there's not a lot of overhead, not a lot of complexion, not, not a lot of process. And I love that. I love that simplicity where you can immediately see if something's working or not. Where you can see if someone's happy, if your customer is coming back. But so I love that in general. I'm also not great. I worked at Microsoft the first half of my career, Carla Joe. And although I was doing fine there, just working with or having a team of hundreds of people and all the complexities that come with managing that. Um, yeah. I just don't get a lot of energy of that. I I love working with two or three people and just getting something done.
1: Yes. Well, what was it like for you? I mean, I digressing a little bit, but Microsoft Office really helped small businesses, right? I mean, you saw that firsthand, right? What was exciting for you about that?
2: Yeah, I think the last couple of years, Things like no-code have become real buzzwords. You can argue that Excel, I think Excel, by the way, is one of the best pieces of software ever created. was kind of the no-code platform for a lot of small businesses. Now they could suddenly create a business plan and they could actually manage relatively complex Uh, problems with with one person, right? On a simple computer. and. So the impact that you're talking about, of course, it impacted every professional, every productivity worker, but the impact on small businesses to let them now do things that only big businesses could do before was really cool. And especially when we, my team, when I, so I ran product marketing for Microsoft in public sector and small business. So we were really focused on those uh, users that didn't have IT departments, right? Or weren't able to, to maybe invest in a lot of training. So the ability to give them tools that literally just empowered them to be 10x productive in the way they manage their business. Excel is a great example of that, or how they presented themselves with PowerPoint. And suddenly PowerPoint, you can argue, was pre-Conva, another tool that allowed people to suddenly do a little bit of design, right? Yeah. and Make some things look beautiful. And by the way, also because I did public sector also in the, in the school environment, right? Students and teachers, etc. Amazing the impact that it has had there.
1: Yeah, so it's the impact of this technology that helps these small businesses 10x their production, right, which has fueled you. And that's the premise, really, the, almost the mission behind Amy, right? Helping these small businesses do things over and over again to help their production and help customer service. And you mentioned breweries connected with wineries. And did you mention fitness, gyms, things like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Right? personal
2: trainers, yeah, gyms, yeah.
1: Yeah. So. What kind of success stories are you seeing from that?
2: Yeah, we have. So, the first thing you also asked me, I think, uh, when we talked earlier, like, what are you kind of disrupting? And all these business types today, they rely on Google, like Google Local, where you get some kind of a little more information about your company, a couple of photos. Yelp is not a good example. And there are other platforms that kind of are a proxy for your online presence other than your own website. And the problem is that those are very limited, right? Yelp determines what type of questions your customers can ask you and what type of information you can put on there.
1: I hate Yelp uh, for that reason, by the way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and small businesses, when you use Amy, they can take that, they can take that ownership back, right? They can get back in control. And so, to answer your question about success stories, so we have a lot of different types of small businesses. We had in the first couple of months, we had five, we got five hundred customers. So that's my good. sample set. When I look at what are the what worked really well, and <laughs> churches is a good example. We found a lot of churches this time, wow. and they say, "Hey, yeah, people come to us with questions and something. They need something like in the middle of the night, right? And it's hard to predict. And of course, they're all understaffed, right? And they want to provide fantastic customer service. Um, so that's a great example of a, a group of customers that really benefits from this. Um, but honestly, it is cross there's thousands of small business types right so yeah whether it's a catering company a small law firm with like a single lawyer right who has to have her website and wants to answer some questions that she gets all the time about her rates and about comprehensiveness of her service and it's so easy to do with amy and yeah dentists accountants i mentioned funeral homes i think uh, bicycle repair shops it's 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 everywhere, Carla. If I look at those 500 initial customers, there's not really one group that stands out. Really? Yeah. And all of them, I think the main thing that they are now excited about is that they're able to build some intimate interaction with their audience, questions that really can go deep and deep between quotes, right? But if you let's say you're a flower shop, when someone wants to order something and they want to know if you can help them. Answering a couple more questions like, hey, is this for a funeral, a wedding, or a birthday gift, et cetera, and what colors do you like, and do you have a certain price point? And it's so easy to do that, and it makes the experience so much richer, and that's exactly what usually becomes a phone conversation if you don't do that. with a So these small businesses that are now saving a lot of time and allowing people who just don't want to talk on the phone, <laughs> they like to just type. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, I'm, dig- I'm dig- digressing a little bit, but yeah, there are, there are tons of stories like that.
1: Yeah, no, you're not digressing at all. And in fact, it's actually true. People don't like to get on the phone anymore. Somebody calls and you're like, why are they calling me? <laughs> well,
2: and then the accountant, that's my best, most vivid example. Imagine it's tax season, right? An accountant is completely overburdened with all the returns they have to file. And then the same question keeps being emailed to them about some kind of IRS deadline that is on the IRS website. People can find it there. but you of have to keep answering that email, right? Or answering the phone even. Yeah.
1: <laughs> And so this is like machine learning and AI. Do you find that there is a common commonality with all these different businesses? Or do you have to have it very specific for certain types of businesses?
2: Oh, they have a lot of things in common. One is they don't have an IT background or skill set, and they also yeah. don't want to build that up. Some do, but most don't, right? Yeah. And the wordpress and duda is another it's one of the fastest growing web platforms for small businesses now great platforms for small businesses to quickly build a website what do they usually use a template right so amy also gives them a template to get their first chatbot up with the first sort of flow of conversations and yeah they don't have it so they and amy makes it possible to almost like lego blocks kind of put some things together, like the most frequently asked questions and do a little bit of customization, but not become an expert uh, in technology. So that's one thing they have in common. And I think the other ones that they all acknowledge that they just don't have time capacity to pick up the phone, answer the email, be a live chat environment where they would have. And of course they don't have unlimited opening hours either, right? People don't want to adhere to, let's say, a nine to five kind of work week. Right. Uh, they, ask, they ask questions at night or in the morning. And a small business would like to answer those, but they don't, don't want to be you know, yeah. up all the time to, to monitor that. So I think those are the two things they have in common. They acknowledge that customer service is important. I also know you, you I think you asked, somebody asked me, who do you, what do you kind of, replace, right? And what you partly replace is the one-on-one conversation between a small business owner and their customers, which of course they value, right? I think a lot of small business owners would love to be able to talk in person with every customer, right? And every prospect, but the reality is they can't, right? So even if they have to give that up, I don't think that that's something that they feel is negative, but that is really what Amy does.
1: I read the other day. So we have 32 to 35 million small businesses and now one-fourth of them have an e-commerce site, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right? And I think this is really valuable for e-commerce because people are going there specifically looking at products or looking at things that they would have questions on. How do you feel that this is changing the chatbot service, right? Because I have always found chatbots on websites to be very static, not very kinetic, (laughs) right? Not very dynamic.
2: Yeah. I So, we actually looked at e-commerce as one of our main focus areas, and we decided not to focus on that. Really? You're right. A lot of small businesses have an e-commerce presence, and they use platforms like Shopify, because they solve for some of the same problems that Amy solves for. It's not what they optimize for. Right? They're very optimized on the commercial transaction but of course there's a little bit of interaction in there like asking questions about products and things like that and we basically said that's probably the part of the market that's already serviced a little bit and so Mm -hmm. Amy kind of focuses on the people who don't necessarily have an e-commerce goal or the e-commerce goal is so simple that you don't need Shopify like a personal trainer just having a scheduling tool for people to be able to book sessions right that's Amy is fantastic for that right Um, and they probably don't need Shopify But I I agree with you that that is a big part of small business. I think innovation, these really good e-commerce platforms, that also is benefiting from chat technology being more accurate and valuable and friendly and customer service focused.
1: But you're not so focused on that as much as you are the other 75% that are really lacking that, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Although I could see us doing a partnership with one of the e-commerce platform providers We just haven't done that yet.
1: Got it. Got it. Good to know. How is Amy different than other chat boxes? Chat box, I should say.
2: Yes, I ran a company, 2014, so what's that? About eight years ago, a small business contact center solutions, called Mighty Call. And I answered basically a very similar question with that company. How do small businesses pick up the phone? <laughs> they had a lot of missed calls. And the missed calls is basically a missed potential customer. And that was very focused on phone conversations. And now we're basically doing the same thing with chat and so what we saw with MightyCall, we see the same thing in here with Amy, that in the case of contact centers and now with chatbots, uh, technology providers, most of the good platforms, the good technology providers are focused on enterprise, on larger customers. If you look at all the small business solutions out there that allow you to put a chatbot on your website, they're mostly focused on enterprise scale. And sometimes they have a lower priced version of their product that you can get either for free in a free trial or even in a free your model. It's not built for small business. You're just getting either a diluted version of the enterprise technology platform or you're getting something extremely limited, like a messenger bot, for example, for some kind of a social channel. That could work for certain use cases, but it's definitely not addressing these 40% of small businesses who have a website as their main to communicate with their customers. So Amy is really unique in the sense that it is actually made for small business. And that's why we also concluded we need to have technology and content so all the other providers are just doing the, content, the technology part. They don't have all the templates and what we call mini flows that allow you to, to basically plug and play with these Lego block kind of analogy. All these small business user use cases, conversa- conversation flows, for example, booking a tour in your brewery. That, and, and you could argue that Amy, about half of our efforts and our engineering is about building the content and making mm-hmm. it Far less is really focused on the technology side because the technology is fine.
1: How do you master getting on that content?
2: That's where a lot of our investment goes, right? We actually researched hundreds of small businesses from looking at their websites to see what questions they're trying to answer there and how we can make that more... Yeah, better flow and less cumbersome, all the way to just talking and interviewing a lot of small business owners and visiting them and sort of seeing, hey, what are people asking you when they call you? What are they emailing you about? And how do we turn that into templates for you? And then the other thing we do, carla Joe, because of course, on the back end, we see these conversations. We're constantly improving these templates, right? We see where people get stuck. What are the questions that don't have great answers? Yeah, we share these things amongst our sort of template categories. So when we see something really cool that we found in a, to work for a spa, that might be a great set of uh, interactions, conversation, building blocks for the, for the personal trainer as well, right? And so we constantly focus on improving the content by both interacting with these small businesses and researching them, but also learning from these conversations as people have them. And we'll also launch a marketplace soon that allows our customers to actually share their templates back with the community.
1: Wow. Now that's super cool. I imagine the more data you get, it exponentially increases what you can do for other small businesses, right?
2: Yeah, I'd love to have one for someone who manages a podcast, Carla Jo. That includes the interaction about scheduling an interview. Like oh
1: my gosh, that. can I be like a beta on that? <laughs> yeah,
2: we would <laughs> have a, <laughs> We would build a template for that, and right, it would include a lot of the things that we, you and I did over email, right, in yes. the preparation. And, yeah.
1: Yes, that's very smart. Have you found the industries that tend to do the best with this so far? Like who are the early adopters? breweries uh, you
2: mentioned that yeah well i mentioned churches i think that was yeah. a surprisingly great fit that we found we also initially i think we focused a little more on really simple use cases like for example the yeah. flower shop or the more yeah. retail and we find out that i think dentists accountants yeah. lawyer law firms they will benefit even more from us building the content because every law firm has a lot of common questions there. right? So it's not mm-hmm. that it's all very unique, but it's a little more complex, right? The interaction and et cetera. So I think that's where we're now really leaning in mm-hmm. to these well, a little more like someone selling life insurance, but they have their own small business doing that, right? It's a little more um, complex. And then maybe your typical retail area. But even the bakery who makes most of the revenue from providing business lunches that get ordered in the morning at like 8, 7 a.m. when the baker is actually baking and they don't necessarily want to be taking orders, right? So there are there are all these specific examples. I can't really answer your question with like a certain category. Yeah. I think we find in almost every business type, there are ways for us to have fantastic impact.
1: This is actually really good for the solo entrepreneur. Yes. And we yeah, have a absolutely. lot more of those that have registered for businesses in the past year.
2: You have all these small software shops now, right? That are literally people who used to work at Google and now are in their own small company, right? And, you know, catering companies of people who used to be working in a restaurant, right? A chef who now owns his own or her own catering company. Yeah, your podcast example, if we built that template for you, Carla Joe, there's hundreds of other people who run podcasts, right?
0: Yes,
1: that's uh, right.
2: <laughs> thousands.
1: Yes, I would love that. I mean, I love meeting all the guests, but there are the other parts that are just repetitive for sure, right? There's a lot of digital transformation going on, right? And we've mentioned a little bit about people don't like to pick up the phone. People want to find the answers on their own typically before they actually really engage with a company. Where do you see this going and how do you see the need for this really type of interactive chatbot growing in small business over the next three to five years?
2: Well, we are very realistic that we believe there is a moment when AI will do a lot of this. And when you don't need to maybe build a template and constantly improve it because the AI learning will be so good, the self-learning bots, basically, that will replace some of the things that we now have to build. When you just look at what happened in the last four or five years after AI really started to mature, we don't believe that's going to happen tomorrow we yeah. think that might take another five if not 10 years right really i, I think at least yeah uh, especially because most of the ai efforts where you know the big technology bets are being made are uh, for the bank or for yeah. the, the t-mobile or ATT uh, and yeah. right they're not mm-hmm. focused on how do i help the small business owner so we believe that the market at some point will move to much more ai, AI power behind the bots. And of course, Amy is invested, we have that capability, we have that focus in our own engineering efforts. But we don't believe that will replace creating fantastic content anytime soon. But that's probably the one one sort of trend we see. Um, and the other one is, I think one that you already mentioned, I think this move of Large businesses becoming smaller, and a lot of people starting their own business. I think that will keep continuing. So, the solopreneur might even be the whole employer employment <laughs> uh, employee uh, relationship might be something of the ancient past 20 years from now. Who knows? Right? Maybe we're all 1099.
1: Now. <laughs> Who knows? We have no idea. We're totally in new territory, aren't we? Yeah. When did you? I mean. You've done a lot of things. When was the moment for you where you saw this as an opportunity to, and you said, that's it. I'm doing something about it.
2: Well, as I mentioned, the Mighty Call experience when I built that company was very similar, but then for phone and for voice. So now with COVID, when you also yourself you experience that it's very hard to reach, and not just small businesses, but any business to interact with them and communicate, get your questions answered. That was, of course, very vivid and became almost too important to ignore. I'm also on the board of a chatbot technology company who provides chatbot technology for enterprises, so I knew the technology pretty well. And then, as I wrote a book on how do you scale startups, I had no excuse, right? I, you know, when you see those problems, you just have to go. Um, So go do something about it.
0: Yeah. So tell us about the book
1: that you wrote for Scaling Startups.
2: Yeah. When you think of the journey that most software companies go through, and it applies probably to other technology companies as well, there is this first milestone that you get to MVP, minimum viable product. You kind of have proven that there are enough people that tell you this is a good problem to solve. It's important. And usually they vote with their time, right? They vote with their time by giving you feedback, by testing your product, etc. But then you have to create some form of economic validation, right? And that's usually called product market fit, where you find enough people who not only tell you it's great, but they vote with their wallets, right? They they pay and they stay, is what I like to say. That's (laughs) called the, uh, the product market it's a milestone. By the way, I have it on this um, on this uh-huh. picture on the wall here. It's like a baseball diamond uh, because you cannot skip any of these things you get to mvp and then you get to product market fit and there are a lot of books about those two phases Carla joe with mm. a lot of the art of the start and the zero to one there are a lot of books the lean startup a lot of books on how do you get to mvp and then to product market fit? where there was a big gap as I kind of was helping software companies I'm on the board of a few I did a couple myself that next leg of this baseball diamond getting to what I call third base, which is sometimes called T2D3 by investors and hence the the name of the book, T2D3. It stands for tripling your annual recurring revenue, your ARR two years in a row and then doubling it three more years. And it's really an acronym that describes scaling your business. So after you reach product market fit and you know that you have found a market segment that needs what you have to offer... Pouring gasoline on that fire or adding like scale capital is really the next phase. And especially when you get external funding, of course, with that funding comes a large high expectation. Right? Okay, (laughs) We invest a couple of million dollars here. Now you, of course, need to scale this. And that's what T2D3 really is. It's an acronym that a lot of investors use to to kind of describe that expectation. Now you have to triple and double your revenue a couple of years in a row. Uh, so the book is about that stage. What do you actually do? And for most software companies, and the book is focused on B2B, not on B2C, the playbook that you need to use to do that is not rocket science. It's it's hard work. and It's a lot of work. And it's not easy, but it's also not that hard to uh, sort of codify the first couple of people you need to hire the type of foundational elements that you need to build from your positioning to your personas to the type of marketing campaigns that you use early on what you need on a website for a typical software company that services b2b um, customers, How do you do your first account-based marketing? If you hire your first marketing team, the job descriptions are not going to be that different from one software. So the book is full of basically templates, playbooks, um, yeah, the plan for you to go from product market fit to that T2D high-scaling growth.
1: sounds like you found the uh, foundational basics across all these B2B SaaS companies and what works for them, and you codified it in a book.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it was partly running a couple of companies myself and then yeah. being on board and seeing just these patterns, right, that you could write up and that people can benefit from.
1: It also sounds like it's transferable to other companies or even companies that may service these B two B startups, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think the audience that I get the most feedback from are both investors and operators of these companies, but also the team members that work there and just need to get going. Especially yeah. that you just got funding, there's no more time. That the clock starts ticking, right? <laughs> it
1: starts <laughs> so you know now. We just funding. Now what do we yeah, do?
2: Yeah, you don't have a lot of time to go figure it out run And build a plan from scratch if you have yeah. kind of a, a starting point that's helpful.
1: Yes, yeah. but I'm glad you said it is hard work because it is hard work and people work. don't really know that. Yeah. I mean, the guys inside do, right? Have you always been sort of an innovator a disruptor i mean like what was stein like growing up and how did you get on this trajectory of seeing something and doing something about it
2: yeah i'm very impatient when it comes to solving a problem And my wife doesn't like this <laughs> she <laughs> wants to talk a little bit more and let me listen before i jump into action but yeah i mean i used the lego analogy a couple times i loved building legos when i was young and just building things and seeing something that has lasting impacts. I get the most joy from work. Yeah. I can do three things. I can learn something new. I think things need to be interesting. Leave something meaningful behind. So when I build something, it's nice that you can later point to that and say, even if it's a small thing, right? It doesn't have to be resume, resume worthy, but you can kind of say, hey, this is what we did and it's still there, right? And, and then the third point is, that you feel that you owned that, that if you weren't there it wouldn't have happened and, and that last thing really became clear to me when i left microsoft where i had done a lot of amazing things which i loved, but i was part of something it wasn't necessarily me who did that right if i wasn't there it probably would have still happened yeah <laughs> so, so so now and that's also why i love to work with small companies it's kind of yeah if you weren't there it wouldn't have happened right and so yeah learning something new leaving something meaningful behind and making sure that your role was clear there and that, that you own some of that i think that's what really gives me a lot of professional satisfaction
1: Yeah, that's very cool. What are some of the things that you're learning new with Amy, just about small businesses in general?
2: Yeah, I'm not a... um... Uh, engineer anymore. I started my career like that, but I, so I have a full software development team in China. It's the first time I have a team in China. I've had time, teams in Europe and in Russia and Israel, but this is the first time in China. So that's a, it's a great part of the role to to have the, the cultural interaction, right, and building kind of an engineering function in also in the current environment <laughs> with the China Chinese people, of course, being under a lot of pressure from the, the COVID thing. management there. So that's really fun for me. It's not so much the marketing or how to. The the chat bot with kind of the dynamics of yeah. people. It's also, this is also the first time, Carla, Joe, where I have completely self-funded this with, with a friend who's yeah. put some capital in together with me. And we're now going to get some seed funding externally as well. We definitely want to provide some opportunity for people who want to, uh, to be part of this adventure. But it's really our thing. We did it. We funded it. It's, yeah. So that's also new for me.
1: Did you do that for any particular reason?
2: Honestly, because I could and because we, Kevin and I, who co-founded and co-funded this, just wanted to get going. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just so much easier to just do it yourself. Yes. Um, I also, honestly, uh, we're doing a, a safe race or a seat in a safe structure because we don't know if we need a lot of capital. And it's nice to just keep control over the company yeah. as long as you can, because we have our own vision and we want to execute that vision.
1: What is your vision?
2: Well, it's really not that... Complex, it's figuring out a way to help these 32 million, about 40% of these 32 million small businesses help their customers better, right? And allow them to still feel they can have conversations with their customers, but they can also scale that, right? They can invest time in making Amy really smart on their website so that they can still feel they're very hands-on in communicating with their customers. But do that also when they have thousands of customers, not just 20 or 30. Um, so that's really my vision for Amy. And then technology is subject to that. And I, I feel with the other, the constant innovation and AI being a big part of it, there's a lot of really cool new things to, to do and to apply. But honestly, it's a relatively straightforward plan. Yeah.
1: yeah, I love that. It's a really good mission. It's a really good purpose. Why did you call it Amy? <laughs>
2: Honestly, when you name, and I've named a lot of products and companies in my marketing career, when you name something, you kind of don't want to overthink it. I think if you look at the most valuable brands in the world, I used an example yesterday, Siemens, it's like a green logo (laughs) of like a couple of letters. Any rule that you would apply to naming a company or building a logo would have filtered out most of the most valuable brands in the world. Right? They wouldn't have made it through those filters. Really? Right? <laughs> the logo of GE would never have made it through the filter of most logo designers, right? And so Amy was another version of me just picking something. Of course, it's nice. It's early in the alphabet. We like the femininity of it when you think of customer service. I think I don't have real data on this, but I have a feeling, and at least what we when we meet our customers, that most small business operators that really get this that want to drive are are actually women who care about the service aspect of their business more than the sales aspect but that's really it and we could get a a domain name relatively quickly so not really thinking about it too long just pick something and Mm -hmm. yeah
1: Coming from a marketing expert, which is awesome. Remind me to tell you the story of the name of my company, how yeah, that came Cal- about. But it's
2: Yeah, I've Cal- spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on naming agencies and branding research and brandscapes, et cetera. And they didn't end up becoming actually much better than what you could come up with in 20 minutes. And, and the reason <laughs> is that... That most brands at the product level and the company level are really made by what you do, the value you provide for your customers, the way you treat them. It's so much. Of of course, that then accrues to name recognition and people recognizing your logo and things like that. Absolutely, but it doesn't start with those. It starts with what you, the service you deliver. So, where did your company name come from, Carla John?
1: Oh, you want me to tell you here? (laughs)
2: No.
1: Well, I was actually going out on my own. And I was, you know, planned to start all my market research and my PR and my marketing. Before it going, I was going to do exactly what you were talking about, right? Like yeah. do the whole naming thing. And because my background is crisis management, I got a call one evening from CEO of one of the largest law firms in this area. And they said, we have a client, it's a big bank, they're in a crisis. Can you go help them? And I thought, well, I don't even have the name of a company <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, it was just very quickly. I was with m- one of my friends, and we said, "What are we? What can I call it when I go into this meeting?" Carla Joe, and her nickname was Tony. So we were putting stuff together. Um, Tojo, and then somebody said, "No, no, I think that I think that was you know um, <laughs> a general in the in World War II. We don't want to do Ooh. that." <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Joto came up, and we looked it up. And we said, oh, my gosh, that means it's an ancient word for very high quality, very high class Japanese. Right. And I probably didn't even need the name of a company there, but I was meeting with a board of 12 attorneys that had started this bank. Right. They were very conservative and they like to know you have a business. And so that's how the name of my company started. And there you go. I got the gig, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> i got the job so yeah,
2: yeah and now yota probably means much more to you because of what you've done with it right
1: yes yes yeah. it does mean. it's a it, it is an ancient word it does mean very high quality very high class and that is what we we strive to do right but yeah that's yeah. the funny part of it people yeah. think we did a ton of market research but we didn't <laughs> Simon, what do you like to do in your off time do you have any crazy passions crazy
2: hobbies oh that's the hardest question you can ask me because I really don't and it's when you but it's also the good the good side of this probably because you get to a part of your career where you just where your work becomes what you want to do so yeah I love to write a blog I love to uh, to, I'd love to publish the book and of course go on a vacation now and then with my wife and and spend time doing cultural things and but honestly yeah I know other than reading and I still play a little bit of video games here and there but uh, no big hobbies other than doing what i love which is building a company like amy and helping other marketers
1: that's awesome how do people get a hold of you and how do they
0: find amy
2: yeah amy is pretty pretty straightforward we didn't buy the dot com yet you you maybe know this in in your pr world buying a three-letter Name at com is about, about a half million dollars, typically two, three hundred to five hundred. So at some point, maybe we will build, we'll, we'll buy it. I know it's available. So amy.us is the website amy.us, .us, mm-hmm. And then we have uh, uh, another website that is uh, my book, um, T2. D3.pro. It's really meant for professionals in the B2B SaaS uh, business. So, the T2D3.pro. Yeah. I did order
1: it, by the way. Oh, you did. did? Oh, you yes, I did. Copy. And I'm going to read it because we service B2B tech startups, right? SaaS companies. um
2: If you prefer audiobook, the audiobook's coming out later in June. So. Oh,
1: okay. Yes. And- did I get it on Amazon? Can yeah. I, I think I got yeah. it on my Kindle. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, it's on Amazon. When you type in T2D3, by the way, on Amazon, you get you get vitamin uh, supplements.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you
2: have to say T2D3 book or something like that. Yeah, But if you go to T2D3.pro, you can find it there as well.
1: Got it. So amy.us, T2D2.pro. And then what about LinkedIn?
2: Oh, yeah, I have actually a LinkedIn profile. Just my name, Stein Hendricksie. Mm-hmm. I also have a Wikipedia page, actually. I yeah. don't know, but that's a little more, how do you call it? Objective, maybe, than the
1: uh, <laughs> so of those Well, you know, people always want that elusive Wikipedia page, so <laughs> that's awesome.
2: Uh, it's, uh, it's less of me bragging about myself, yeah.
1: Well, Stein, thank you very much. I'm really excited about Amy.us. I think you have a great purpose. I hope it exponentially grows. And I appreciate you talking to all of our listeners today about what's happening with the, with the small business market.
2: Well, it was an honor to be on your show, Carla Joe. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear, um, hear a little bit more about, um, where the name uh, came from i'm going to do a little research uh, because i i found that there's more to yoto than just the 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 japanese thing i'll send you a note on that
1: yes there is other stuff (laughs) (laughs) there's funny stuff about that too i'll have to tell you that story later
2: (laughs) thank you so much
1: thank you so much that's a wrap everyone if you learned something today or laughed go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with some tidbit from the show. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Interruption podcast, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Mm
0: Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.